0: If you can kind of elaborate on that going into strictly political, uh, your first hit in 1990, um, it's just just kind of elaborate on on, you know, who produced the tracks, um, you know, and again, educate us on those those types of you know top line who did what and where you know were you the brains i mean obviously the brains behind it you know the the, the program or whatnot but talk a little bit about that because it's completely completely different if you look at who put there it is to strictly political two different types of only with bands if you ask me but yeah. uh I, i'd like to get your perspective on that same band yeah <laughs> steve does beat i do the lyrics
1: right but yeah it's amazing because it's the first time anybody's ever asked about strictly political. I've done two hundred of these. Really, last huh. year, two hundred of these—you know—interviews, podcast. I mean, I do this every day. I do. I got three more today, right? Just mm-hmm. because this is what I do. I love. I love to do this. Um, strictly political was made um, out of a necessity of me wanting everybody to vote, right? Mm. And even back then, I just wanted everybody to vote because I had voted for the first time at 18, so I think I was probably, I think I was like 22 when I wrote that. Because that's when I first got to Atlanta. And um, that record was just inspired by, uh, I think, the 92 election of uh, Bill Clinton. Because we had went through, you know, we went through Reagan and went through Bush. And then it was kind of, that was like the coming up on, a, I think it was coming up on the L.A. riots. Yeah. I think it might have been then. And I just felt political because public enemy had did all their stuff. And see, I used to, I knew all the record reps back in the day because I was a DJ. Um DJ at a club called Magic City, an adult entertainment club, and then a DJ a regular club called Club Michaels. And I knew all the record reps and Alan Cole from Columbia Records, who was who actually uh, sent Woonther to Columbia Records. But he was like, "Hey man, I need some help. You know, you want to help me? Um, you know, run around uh, Public Enemy, right?" So I drove the van for Public Enemy. And one of my friends in New York knew Public Enemy, but I got to know all them cats, right? And I think this is like, I think this might've been, no, this was, I don't know if it was the same time before or after. I just—I know I just remember, you know, it kind of was inspired by Public Enemy, but it wasn't like I was militant. I just wanted people to vote, right? Because my father, uh, Dr. Cecil Glenn, he was an educator. And he... Um, was the first, well, he basically started the whole you know, African-American studies or uh, black studies curriculum in the state of Colorado, right? Mm. He uh, was the Dean of the University of Colorado Ethnic Studies Program. He was, um, um, you know, he got his doctorate degree and he helped thousands of kids and people and older people and anybody who wanted to get through school he was able to get them financial aid so they can go to school. And he was very, just very instrumental. So he had taught me about voting and what it meant from an early age, right? My mother as well, because they were from the South, Nashville, uh, out Nashville, Tennessee, and Tuskegee, Alabama. So they had been through it. And I just knew how important it was to vote. And that's what inspired Strictly Political. And as far as the style of music, we just we were hip hop because we're from Denver, right? We're from Denver, and then I moved to California, and then so I'm, you know, as a DJ, I'm inspired from by everything because I'm ordering my records from New York, Washington D.C., twelve inch dance records, uh, L.A., San Francisco, Bobby Jimmy, and I'm ordering all all these records of different forms of hip hop back in the beginning of hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. in late eighties, early nineties, right? And it's just like okay. I'm, I'm finding out all these different styles of music here in different forms of music, but they all culminate in hip-hop. So Strictly Political was just a slower hip-hop record that we did. And, you know, the girls at the club loved it. Like, I was playing that record so much, and it basically was a hit. But at the same time, I was in the Southeast, right? Mm-hmm. And the Southeast was bass music if you were not making bass music, there was no way you were coming out of the Southeast because you had to be in New York or L.A. to even have a chance to have a hit record out there. Or just somewhere on the coast, right? Because, you know, Florida, you had Luke, they they, they blew up. You had, uh, there were some, you know, bands that had success, but they were on independent labels. Like on the West Side, yeah, Sir Mix-A-Lot, he blew up, right? And, you know, he was, but he was up in Seattle, but at least he was on the coast. And... You know, I just knew that we had to have an up-tempo record. So I went to Steve's like, "We got to have an up-tempo record, dude. If we go, we have any chance of getting out of here." And he was like, "I don't, I can't make the bass stuff, man." I was like, "Don't think, don't think bass. Think Planet Rock and mm-hmm. Egyptian Lover, right?" Yeah. And that's where it started. And he made the beat. We used the Kano sample because we had talked about using the Kano sample for a while, just didn't have a reason to use it. Right, you, I mean, way back and put the beat together and I went through my rhyme books and tried to find a song to match it. And I was working on a song called "Woop There It Is, which was basically a party saying, throw your hands in the air waving like you just don't care. It was something like that. And, you know, people think it's this big Manhattan project. Right. And it was just nothing but a song. Right? There were no you know, physics or theorems or whiteboards or any of that. It was just a song about kids partying on a Friday night in the 90s. And we recorded it. And that night I had to go to work. I had a cassette, dropped it in, played it. And the response was just overwhelming. And to this day, it's still the biggest record I've had any response on ever. It's usually you play a record, a couple people come and say, hey, man, what's that record? And you tell them, right? But boom, there it is, like 15 people ran up on me like, what the hell is that? That thing is banging. And, you know, me and my hubris, I'm like, every record I make is a hit because I'm playing in a club and everybody likes me, so everybody likes my records. And I played boom There This for a while and I shelved it to get to the next record, right? Because it was kind of, kind of addicting. And um, I uh, started playing it again in January of 93. And then that's when Alan Cole from Columbia Records was like, man, what is that? And I'm like, that's my new record. He was like, man, give me that, man. I got to send that to New York. He sent it to New York. He get a call from Columbia Records. I'm like, ooh, this works. Let me give it to everybody. All these labels are calling me, but they're not able to... They're not able to understand what to do with the record so they're kind of dragging their feet on it and it just frustrated me and uh almost gave up then a lady named Lisa McCall from Mercury Records like you need to talk to Al Bell Al Bell is one of the he owned one of the original three black entertainment uh record companies back in the day Stax Records Philly International and Al Bell owned Al Bell on Stax. You had Philly International, and you had uh, Motown. And he had put out a record called Daisy Dukes the pre- the, pre- the pre- previous year. And it went gold. And I was like, whoa, he knows what to do with bass music. And I was like, gave him a call. Took him about a week and a half to call me back. And he called me back, and he was like, how you doing? I was like, Mr. Bell, let me tell you something. I got a hit record. I've tested them in all the clubs. i got a strip club, i got a regular club. I know this record is a hit record, you need to sign us. And he was like, okay. I was like, you haven't even heard the record. And to this day, these words mean so much to me because it's a part of who I am is why he did this. He said, brother, I don't have to hear the record. I hear it in your spirit. Let's agree to agree. And I gave my two weeks in Magic City, club I was working at, signed a messed up record contract, and in a month and a half, we were platinum.
0: Wow. That's, that's amazing.
1: Congrats. Just like that. Right? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I went through a lot of turmoil. You know, I, it, it took us a long time. You know, it took us a lot of records to, You know, to get to that record. People think, either people think we got lucky or people think we knew what we were doing. And it was neither. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was nothing but just work. Yeah. And, you know, that ethic has always been with me because of my parents. You know, my parents made my mother had a prep cook when she was when I was five years old. Cause she was making me do everything. I had to cut up chickens and do just, you know, snap peas and all kinds of stuff, right? So and my father made me shovel snow, lawn. You understand that. You mm-hmm. got chores. You know what I mean? And those chores mm-hmm. were non negotiable. But at the same time we got allowance, but then, you know, it was like reward and consequences if there was, if you didn't do something. So if, you know, for instance, if I didn't go to church on Sunday, I couldn't play football that because we like to play football on Sunday because we watched the Broncos and they go play football. Or if I didn't um you know, cut the grass, let the grass grow, it's like, okay, you're still gonna get your money, but I'm going to hurt you in other ways. I'm going to make it painful in other ways. And they might say, well, you can't go, you can't watch TV today, right? And you know, back then, boy, well, that, that was a blow. And I tested it a couple of times, but then that didn't, you know, just instilled that work ethic in me because I knew that there's consequences, but there's reward. And then one year we had a, a blizzard. And we were the only family that had a snowblower. You can appreciate this. <laughs> we had a snowblower. And we finished up our, you know, uh, sidewalks about 20 minutes, me and my brother. And I was seeing Mr. Grant struggling next door. And I was like, we got you, Mr. Grant. Went did his snow. And we pretty much did the whole block. Because, I mean, it was fun for us. And didn't even think about charging people. We just did the whole block. And um, for the next two weeks, people were... Would we'll see us coming home from school, we'll be like, "Hey, y'all, come here." We'll like, "Hey, I appreciate y'all doing my snow last week. Here's thirty dollars." Like, "Whoa, nice!" And that train that that just the transition from the chores to you worked real hard, and now you, your brother, got like three hundred bucks, <laughs> right? When it would have took you, you know, you do the math to get hey. that much from
0: your parents, it's like, "Whoa." Well, not only that, like back in that day too. I mean, three hundred bucks was a lot of money. Like that's a lot I mean, of money. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah.
1: The late seventies, early eighties. You know, going mm-hmm. into going into high school, so it was um, it was very lucrative for me, and we ate a lot of candy. And it just made me realize that if I work, I can get I can get money. And I, eight years, nine years old, I had a paper route. And early teens, I was working at this ice cream shop and. Uh, I worked at the university in the AV department where I dragged around the projectors and everything to the classes and made sure the professors had their stuff. And then I started chefing and working in restaurants all through, all through a uh, college. And I do not or have ever feared work. So my work ethic is bananas, you
0: know, yeah, you uh, you, you touched on uh, on one of my questions about you know how did the business side kind of change you, uh, and and you kind of give us just it a little bit of a platform as far as your your work ethics or whatnot. But tell us a little bit more about you know your your record deal and the, the, those two years of that struggle and and getting the the your main hit out. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I mean, it was just, I mean, I'm making money, you know what I mean, but it's
1: just a frustration of. People tell you, okay, we're gonna do something, then they don't do it. You know that 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 you know the the, the peanuts in the football, right? Mm-hmm. This is like again, yeah. <laughs> again. And for me, because I was a DJ, I watched people and I watched artists, right? And I learned valuable lessons. I learned that I learned about the person I didn't want to be. And I didn't want to be the star who would come in the club, treat everybody like crap, and then, um, you know, just think I was the greatest gift to everything because I had a hit record. Yeah. You know, I wanted to be the guy, because I watched them rise and I watched them fall, and I watched everyone who they did wrong take glee in their demise. I said, I'll never be that dude, because it's just not, first of all, it's not right. I wasn't raised that way. And then it's just stupid. Yeah. You know, and the first, uh, you know, just that time, it wasn't a struggle because we were making records. It, and it's not like I was really trying to be a, a star. But when people start telling you that, it's like, OK, everybody's telling me this. I know I could do it, but it's just not happening. But I got patience and I'm DJing. Right. So I'm already a star. You know, what I mean, I know all the athletes. I know all the politicians. I know. I knew everybody in Atlanta back then because they all came to me. So it was never about that. And then when I first, when Woot There Is first blew up, my father sat me down. He's like, I'm proud of you. You know, but, you know, he would tell me about when he was young and how he just stayed in school and grinded through school. But it was hard because he watched all his friends in the streets hustling, driving Cadillacs and having all the pretty girls and all that. And he's like, you know, now I'm the one that got all the Cadillacs and they don't have nothing because I continued on. It says, you know, it's the back end that counts. And, you know, I remembered that. He said, don't, he said, this is gonna end, right? Cause I'm thinking I'm gonna have hit records forever, but he's like, this is gonna end. Don't chase it, right? Don't chase it cause it'll destroy you. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I got you. And I listened to that. Mm-hmm. And when I got to that point, you know, it was it was nothing because I knew that I was still the same person before and after. Mm-hmm. People still respected me and adored me. And I, still, I was so accessible. I never acted like a star. I was yeah. always still don't act like a star. Like, I have one of probably the biggest records in the history of music and one of the biggest commercials in commercials, right? And nobody still knows who I am, right? Yeah. yeah. People wouldn't even be able to pick me out. They're looking at my commercial every day. and Still can't because of the way I carry myself, mm-hmm. right now, if I'm walking around with, you know, sunglasses, security, you, people just notice stuff like that. They're like, "Who's that?" And then mm-hmm. somebody's gonna figure it out, and they're gonna it's gonna spread through wherever you're at. Yes. Sometimes that happens organically. Somebody like I know him somewhere, and by the time by the time I'm thinking that you do what you gotta do, and then you're gone, and then it might come later, right? But. Yeah. I don't carry myself like a star. I just, I love the work part of all of this, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, when when everything, we tra- we traveled the world for four or five years on Wound There It Is alone, and we had our struggles with the record company, but we got money, but it was just record company went bankrupt, mm-hmm. and another record company snatched it out of bankruptcy, right? So now we got two record companies trying to tell us what to do, and... You know, mm-hmm. then it became then it became a battle. Mm-hmm. And instead of just being miserable about my situation and crying over spilt milk, you know, I went back to what I knew, DJing. And I was, it was very lucrative, but I was smarter. And I said, you know, now it's time for my education. I do not want to go through what I went through again. And I know I'm not going to, you know, my career is stalled. So what can I do? And I just basically became paralegal. I said, okay. I know i going to have my day in court. So let me gather all the discovery, organize all the contracts, make sure everything. You know, I'd already been doing this because I took a crack at the record company for you know at, at at the in the beginning of all this, but I realized that you know the money I think I have that is long money is nothing compared to the long money that a record company has, right? And I learned that the hard way. So I said, just gather the evidence. Know when things are happening. Know when motions are being made. All these things. I so I could have came. I, I became a paralegal. I could have became a lawyer if I just went to school for it, right? Because that's that, that's what the education was. So I understood what was going on. So that's you know that's always in the background, on the back. You know that's just underneath behind the curtain. But on the surface, I had to figure out what I was going to do. Cause, you know, DJing was lucrative and it was fun and I'm partying, I'm a young man, but I know there's, there's gotta be more. And I, uh, became a licensed commodities broker. I wanted to get into finance. I was like, I don't want to ever get taken advantage of money again. Cause I had opportunities when I had, you know, I there it is, gave me so many opportunities that I didn't take, you know, wasn't able to, uh, wasn't able to even see. Or understand or or anything. And I just vowed to correct all those problems, right, in my life. And that's what made me start. It's like I could I was there at the beginning of Yahoo and all these these things, right? I had I had an investment account, but I didn't know what an investment account was. I thought an investment account was just a bank account, right? And why you know why people are like you can't spend that money like it's a bank? This is an investment account. We're about to start doing something. I'm like, and I I just didn't listen, and it just I said I have to know finance. That's the first thing. And then I became a, a licensed commodities broker, and then I started developing tactics on how to learn how to do things. And this was even when I was younger, like. One of my first tactics, I'll never forget it. Um, a lady friend of mine was like, I can't find no job. I can't find no jobs. Like, I find you a job. You're just being lazy. I drive around all day. I was like, no, nah, I ain't how you find a job. So said, give me yellow pages. I said, what do you want to do? Where do you want to work? What type of field you want to work in? And, you know, she was like, well, dental assistant. All right. You know, open the book, find dentistry. Now, watch this, and I start calling. I said, hi, how you doing today? Um, just wanted to know if you're hiring. Oh, you are, can I come fill out an application? Oh, you're not doing, okay, okay. Okay, cool. And you know, a lot of people are like, no. But there's gonna be one person, yep, girl, just quit. It's like, can I come now? Yep, you come now, you got a job. Wow. You spent all day driving around and maybe went to four places and you could be in a phone book and get to a hundred places mm. the time you spent to doing that. Probably shorter time. And I tell people that and they still don't do it. And I'm like, mm. I'm just giving you the easiest way to do it. It's just a different way of doing it. Yeah. But people are stuck in their own stuff, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, that was one of my tactics. I always had a job, right? And then... Uh, you know I wanted to have a hedge fund go back coming back to the financial thing and I was like I don't know nothing about a hedge fund though so I'm trying to learn but I'm like okay I know a hedge fund has has a management system so let me start calling around and find some you know take some try to get some meetings with hedge fund managers and because I'm DC the brains premium tag team I can get into those rooms so I think I had like four meetings one was in New York uh Vegas LA and San Francisco and I'm flying all around the country to these meetings and we get in, we get in the uh, rooms and they're like, Hey, you know, just we're, we're big fans and boom, boom, boom. And I was like, yeah, I'm trying to put, I'm putting together an investment group and I know all the athletes and I get you Dominique Wilkins, primetime Deion Sanders and a lot of the rappers and all that. And I can control a lot of money, but why should I let you manage my hedge fund? Right? And they're like, okay, well, we do this, this, and this, this, and that, that, and this, and this, and that. And we're the best at this and this, and then we pay great attention to this and that. And what they don't realize they're doing is that they're pitching me. But while they're pitching me, they're teaching me. Mm -hmm. And that is one of my just most famous tactics is that whenever I want to try to find out something, I'll go to the horse's mouth, and I'll find whoever manages it or whoever, it could be doing the books, it could be doing the accounting, it could be anything. Anybody who has any control over it and learn from them Mm -hmm. what it is I want to do. And when I finished with all those meetings, I knew exactly what a hedge fund was. And I knew it wasn't for me because that's just like intellectual gambling. And I was terrible at gambling. But what it did is it gave me a financial education
0: in a week. Right, that took most people four years. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, you know what yeah. I mean, and that—that—that yeah. that, that is the key, and that's what I—I I had always done, and you know, I um, then I went and to a financial planner. You know, I went, I was going to get some soap from this one place, and I looked seeing the Edward Jones across, and I went and um, was like, had a meeting with the person that was there. Her name was Amanda, and I was like, hey, you know what do you guys do? Pitch me. Right. And she pitched me and it made sense. And I was like, okay. She's like, what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, you're going to have a lot of little buckets. Cause I see you have a corporation. I see you do this. I see you do that. We just take 300, $400 a month and we'll fill all these little buckets and buckets are in form of, you know, SEP IRAs for your corporation, Roth IRAs, um, mutual funds, all these little buckets we're going to fill up with the $300 a month, take a little each and put them in each place and just let them grow. And I i, I was like, perfect. And I've been doing it. I've had the same account since 2000, probably 2001. And, you know, I'm straight because I, I, that money gets pulled and I don't even think about it. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, sometimes I'll up it to a thousand or sometimes I'll drop chunks in, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. yeah. but then sometimes I've had to go and take it out. Yeah. Right. And pay yeah. the percent penalty. Right. So, mm-hmm. but at least it's always, that's something that's always working mm-hmm. and that worked for me. So as, as you know, it just, I I was trying to find more things. I'm like, well, since I'm in the clubs, this club, you know, let me, figure out how I can be more mm-hmm. and you know, it's not, it wasn't like how I could be more It's just I'm always, I've always been a hustler. So I've always had four or five hustles in the hole compared to my main hustle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, if I'm in a club and I'm selling, you know, clothes or selling hand fans or cause I'm in, I'm in a place where it's just nothing but cash. Right. Yeah. If I got something, if I could meet, uh, a demand for something with supply, I'm going to have a lot of money. I'm going to have a lot of cash money. And I was the best at it in the clubs. And um, I was into, it was a real big self-help kick for me back in those days, which was like the 2000s. And I went through every book, Anthony Robbins, all of them, right? And all the courses. And this one book, I cannot remember to this day, but I remember the story of a guy who wanted to... Have a pie company. So he goes and he works at a pie shop and he becomes, he's the busboy at a pie shop. Then he moves up. Now he's learning how to make the pies. He learns how the sausage is made. Right. And he leaves, starts his own pie shop, then starts his own pie company, then franchises that pie company and then sells it for a bunch of millions. Right. And he called the, you know, the, the process he called that was getting in the corridor. And I said, well, let me do that with this club I'm at. And I made a business plan. But I didn't know what to, I thought business plan, you just write down some words and this is what I want to do, this is how I wanna do it. Nope. Oh. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was truly one of the hardest things I ever do, had to do, but it took me six months to do it. Mm-hmm. And I filled out everything, all the projections, all the just had to learn, I had to learn the language on that, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a language with when learning how to put together a business plan. I don't know what this is. I mean, that's what business majors I had business majors do, right? So I had a company called American uh, Business Development. They helped me put it together, but they also helped me with my credit. And then became masterful at credit, right? So I always know how to manipulate and make sure my credit is on point. I know how to get it back if I mess it up, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you acquire discipline throughout your life, right? enough hard knocks, you're not going to do the same thing again. And, you know, getting in the corridor for me was putting together a business plan on marketing. I wanted to do all your marketing, so I'd roll up there with a PowerPoint presentation and give my boss the presentation, and she cuts me a check for $25,000 because she was just so impressed that nobody had ever came to her that way. Everybody just comes talking. And now I'm at the top of the food chain, a strip club that is so lucrative that I've got seven streams of income right because I'm not just a DJ you know I'm I'm your sound guy I'm your light tech I'm your marketing manager I do the radio spots I do the flyers I do the fashion photography with the girls I do the TV ads I do everything I have life insurance I have health insurance
0: Mm -hmm. all in one entity which is getting in the corridor and so you I, never had any business background, any mass media background, or anything. It was just basically learn as you go through your entire career. I call is that it. You no, know,
1: yeah. I, what I call call it is learning how to learn. Yeah. It's not enough to learn. That's what you get in school, right? In life, you better learn how to learn because there's more than there's so many more ways to learn something. And if you're just learning, you're lumped in with everybody else who's just trying to learn and you're kind of stuck and mm-hmm. you're kind of in muddy waters because you got too many people trying to do the same thing yeah when you learn how to learn you come up with a whole nother innovative way of learning that serves you and that's custom to only you yeah and then that takes you on a lane in a trajectory that people can't follow you because mm-hmm. you're the one that put in the work right yeah
0: yeah yeah and you're
1: very specific Yeah, 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 like perfect example, learn how to learn. If I get a long email, it's like, man, I don't feel like reading this email. You try to start, but then you start daydreaming. You start, you can't really, you start skipping over stuff. But I'm like, I'm not reading all that. Let me dump it into the AI. And I got software that reads to me and in a human voice. And now I'm checking the rest of my emails and that's reading to me. And I catch some, wait a minute, really? Okay. And then I'm reading along with it while it's reading to me. I retain more. Right. right? Yeah. That's learning how to learn. I could take Mm -hmm. this whole podcast, dump it into my AI. It gives me a transcript about 90% effective. You go through it. Now I got it on paper. Now I could take this transcript. And if you put it on YouTube, you can put this transcript into your, uh, your description Mm-hmm. now you have so many words in your description and you have the right words in your description of what we're talking about when Google spiders crawl through, yeah. they know where to put your video, that's, that's, really cool. that's, that's what I do and mm-hmm. you know, that had me complacent in the clubs, but then going back to Won't there it is, we're still doing shows every now and then, we're doing NBA times. we're doing NFL halftimes, any little you know quick hitters, but those are lucrative Mm-hmm. those are from companies that got big money so they're going to give us what we want and more right and um you know as time goes on i'm, I'm still like i have to figure something out other than djing mm-hmm. you know this is real lucrative so you know i go back i, I started i wanted to, you know i started taking voiceover lessons because i had been inspired by a record we did with called mickey unwrap a kid's record we did for the kids back in like 95, 96. And, you know, I'm in the deep bowels of Disney, you know, teaching the voices of Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse how to rap. Once again, another opportunity that I'm in that don't even know where I'm at. Right. I don't even understand what's going on to me, right? I don't even understand the opportunity that stands in front of me. And I'm teaching Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse how to rap. <laughs> That's and, awesome. got me, and we're talking about voiceover right. and that sparked my voiceover Enthusiasm, but at the same time, um, at the same time, it took 15 years for me to pull that trigger. So in 2009, I said, "I got to do. Let me try voiceover." And I'm flying to New York to find the best coaches. Going to L.A. and I'm just Brown, Robin, Atlanta, New York, L.A. And I'm training, training hard, training with the best. And I'm not getting it, and it's hard, and because I you know, make good money, because I've learned a lot, because I think I know what I'm doing, I think I could just whoop, there it is, my way through anything. Yeah. And this was one thing where I hit a brick wall and couldn't figure out. But I didn't give up. I just said, this is going to take a little longer. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it took a while. And probably after a while, I stopped doing that and just found a coach in Atlanta and just kept training. And it was just about training and getting better at it. But meanwhile... 2011 you know I'm at work I get a call DC you gotta come to the front you got a phone call and I'm like okay I'm working why would you come and she said she will not get off the phone so I go to the phone I said please call me in the morning this number she was like okay I gotta talk to you I was like okay and the next morning a reporter from the New York Times is calling me and she's like DC you haven't seen it, I was like, what? She was like, the article by Gawker. Gawker is saying that you got, that Barack Obama was in your There It Is video. And I was like, "No." Nah. She was like, yeah. And she sent me the article and I was like, whoa. And then boom, everybody started calling me. Because she gave everybody the number. And we did press for a whole week, right? Wow. And I, I was like, how did you find me? She was like, over the hill and through the woods. It was hard but I found you Mm -hmm. and we did CNN. We did all the major, we did everything in a week, but that was another opportunity lost because I couldn't take advantage of it because no one could find me. Mm -hmm. How am I going to do shows if they can't find me? How am I going to, you know, make opportunities if they can't find me? I know, you know, I know whoop there it is now, by now it's going to be a nostalgic forever hit record. Because I'm sitting in the movie theater and I'm looking at Will Ferrell dance on a table in the mailroom and Elf. (laughs) Now I know my song is Evergreen, so now I know it's my responsibility to make my own money because I will always have a hit record. It's played every year at Christmas, Mm -hmm. plus commercials, all kind of stuff. And I was like, I gotta correct that. And that's what started my SEO career, Mm -hmm. right? And I built the club's website and then started learning SEO. And it was brutal, right? I'm learning some of the hardest things that you can learn. I'm going through some of the hardest stuff that you can can train for, right? Because voiceover, everybody's got 30 years on me. You know what I mean? SEOs are because you are learning about algorithms and things that are innovating as we speak to this day. So it's a moving target. And it was just, all of it was so hard, so brutal. And it took a long time. And back then- if you typed in tag team, it was all wrestling. Yeah, you type in tag team today, mm-hmm. it's all tag team, right? Nice, ten, yeah. Ten years, man. But that, you know, I'm I'm getting better at things, and I was like, I cannot be a 50 year old DJ, and I retired from DJ in 2015, and I'm like, okay, what are we gonna do? Okay, I want to start doing shows now. We need to start doing more shows. And we need to, you know, I'm going to build our website and I'm going to just ride tag team for a while until I can figure out until some of these other seeds that seeds turn into something that I can actually do as a career. And, you know, I started calling booking agents and they were like, no, we can't. You guys only got one record. I'm like, one record? We well, only got one record, so I don't know if we, you know... Can put you on the roster. You know, it gave me every excuse why they couldn't do something mm-hmm. instead of one, you know, reason why they should. Yeah. And I said, okay, thank you. I didn't burn no bridge. I didn't get mad. I said, okay, cool. And I went, you know, this is another learn how to learn moment. I said, you know what? I'm about to join the organization. And what's relevant about that is that. Organizations are filled with professionals that have been doing this for 10, 20, 30 years that love their craft, that love their profession and want to teach everybody else. So they create an organization so they can be, you know, so they can help people who want to become a part of that organization or do what they're doing, grow. And mm-hmm. so they have the resources, they have all the things you need to learn how to do it. Right. And I joined the international Entertainment Buyers Association, and when it comes to concerts and entertainment in the music industry, you have a hierarchy. You have your buyers on top, then you have your venues, which are could be anything; it could be stadiums, it could be um, arenas, amphitheaters. Then you have your big boy promoters, which is Live Nation, Ticketmaster, iHeartRadio. Then you have your mom and pop booking agents. And those are the people who I was trying to get on their roster. Cause I just wanted to get on their roster so I could get a link back to the tag team side I dropped. And then, um, then you have your managers and then you have your artists and me going and me going into this organization. I went to their convention, 5,000 strong, me and Chubby Checker, the only black dudes there. I got a big giant whoop. There it is. T-shirt on billboarding. And I effectively cut out the middle and I am talking now directly to the buyers. And I got my pitch down on DC Glenn. You might have heard the song "Whoop," There It Is. I'm a member of Tag Team. Um, oh, I remember that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we got a clean 90s nostalgia rap show. And I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to meet people and, you know, maybe it might be a good uh diverse add to your roster. Cause all I'm trying to do is get on people's roster to get back, get a link back to the site because I'm looking at, I'll type in certain artists, and I just see all down the page that they got links for all these booking agents. So I said, I want to do that because that's how you get found. Mm-hmm. And I start meeting people. Next thing you know, we're doing a state fair. We do a casino. We're doing a charity event. We're doing a fundraiser. We're doing a corporate event. Now we're doing all these different types of events in nickel and diamond because of my hustle. Mm-hmm because I thought differently, because I learned how to learn, right? Mm-hmm. And now the thing that all these booking agents thought was a weakness is now a strength because all they want us to do is wound. there it is. So I found the people, I found the, uh, the demand mm-hmm. and you know, responded with the supply.
0: Yeah, Just yeah. like I
1: was hustling back in the clubs, right? <laughs> yeah, You see what I'm saying? How all these yeah. things start to trickle in like every, they oh they always say jack of all trades master of none it's like these you got tentacles they're just you got doing too many things dc you're doing too many things but if you live long enough and you hustle hard enough you know all these things come together mm-hmm. and you know you become masterful of some of them trades yeah right and
0: That's they really all safe.
1: serve each other in one big ball right and mm-hmm. One serves another one. You don't know what comes back to help you that you went through in life, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I always play offense. It's like, it's not, it's not a quid pro quo. It's about just offense, 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 right? So now we're doing shows and then all of a sudden, you know, 2012, no, 2010, they got a court date. So now these two record companies are about to go to battle and we're in the middle. And the record company that took it out of bankruptcy lost. And then for the next five years, they appealed and, appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed and appealed. And their last appeal was in 2015 to the Supreme Court. Can you imagine if you're looking at the news, and today the Supreme Court takes on the, boom, there it is, tag team case. Right? Can you imagine that? Well, they were like, get that thing out of here. We ain't, we're not dealing with that. And well, and you guys are, you know, you're just waiting. I mean, that, we're that's waiting be... and then we're being played. We're, we're being, you know, our our career is basically stalled. and mm, we never yeah. made, You know, making music has passed us by. And, you know, the thing I remember the most is that they were going to try to, well, if we lose, you know, it's one of the things where if I can't have it, can't nobody have it. Mm-hmm. so that's when it was time for me to go to court i went and found had to find lawyers um, and when i found the lawyer they got a big box of everything that had happened to that point organized filed perfectly cases old cases everything and they came up with six or seven different ways to win and we prevailed Nice. And not without cost, traumatized, you lose an arm, you lose a leg, you got an eye patch, but you're living and you're you free of all that. Yeah. And I just went into a deep depression. It was the realization like, what are you going to do? And I laid in the bed for the for a month, August 2017. Just, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I get a call, I'm like, D.C., they want to, you know, we would like to use you for our company, Industrial. We want to, you know, we want to book you. And it's like, we got $10,000 for you. It's like, I know what I'm going to do. And it was voiceover. Because mm-hmm. I didn't give up a voiceover. It came and it saved me. Yeah. Right? And... Cause, you know I had to spend a lot of money on lawyers for that to, to win that case, right? And in five years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And and um it's crazy because um I started working with Apple Radio in uh 2014, 15, and then I retired from DJ and I was still working at Apple Radio. So I was getting money in voiceover here and there. But that big one let me know that this is this is what it's gonna be. And then I end up signing uh, my my voiceover coach people store company called us like, you got any African-American talent? She was like, I got the perfect guy. And they signed me instantly. So now I'm signed with the biggest talent agency in the Southeast for voiceover. All at the same time of getting the voiceover. And then I book, inst- book kind of like instantly, and I'm up there having a meeting with them, and the owner comes in, and she's like, I like your face. Put him on camera. And I'm like, put him on camera. He's like, yeah, you'd be, you know, because I wanted to be, I wanted to kind of act now. And it was like, mm-hmm. I was asking them about, you know, extra roles. It was like, no, nah, put him on camera all the way. So camera all the way is commercial and theatrical. Commercial is for commercials and theatrical is for movies and television. Now I'm auditioning. And they're like, what do you got to do? What do I got to do? I'm like, I'm like, what do I have to do? And they're like, well, headshots and you got to take acting classes. And the first couple of acting classes, I was hooked. Then I was in class every day, sometimes two, three times a day, every workshop, flying to L.A., flying to New York, training. And I did that till the pandemic hit. I was booking. I was booking regional and local stuff, but I was still making money booking. But I hadn't got that national yet. I wanted that national, but acting was, that was way more brutal than voiceover. But I stayed in class. I trained, I trained, I trained and trained. And the pandemic hit and it just stopped me. It stopped. The pandemic was, I can tell you the pandemic is special because it stopped everybody in their tracks at the same time. And people always think, you know, I'm hustling, I'm hustling. You hear people say that all the time. I'm grinding, I'm doing this, I'm working hard. And a lot of people are sitting in their car driving and they're revving the engine, but they look outside and they're not going anywhere. And that's what that forced me, you know, people to see, like, I'm not going anywhere. Why? Because you're stuck in mud. Your wheels are spinning. And I just reinvented myself. I said, I'm going to reinvent myself. I said, what, you know, because you ask the question, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What am I going to do? And I'm like, you know what? Can't do shows. Can't do this. Can't do that. Voiceover. And every class that I took, I recorded. There There are drives and everything all over the place. I found everything, organized it, and then listened to my first lesson back in 2009. I had to listen to my 10-year-ago self. <laughs> and it was heartbreaking because I was a different person to just listen to my conversations and how I was, just how I was, was very, very hard to hear. I, I realized I was the one getting in my own way. I thought it was the coaches that weren't training me right because I couldn't get voiceover. And then I heard my first voiceover off a script and it was just horrific. It was so cringeworthy. And but at the same time, it was inspiring because I understood what they were saying to me because I, not only as I stuck with it, but now I'm an actor. Now I'm in acting class for, for two and a half years. Now I understand the language and it goes mm-hmm. back to the financial thing. Watching CNBC, not knowing what I'm looking at to watch the CNBC knowing exactly what they're talking about, right? In every aspect of everything I do. So now I'm like, I can do this over. Let me do this over and take their notes. And I do it over and is angelic because for the first time I have mastery over my voice in a way that I've never had it. And I did this for, for the month of, you know, March 2020, when we all thought that we were all going to turn into zombies and people were going to start eating us, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> Isn't that how every movie starts? with so what we went through last year, the first couple months, it was like, oh my God, everybody was so scared, <laughs> right? And <laughs> it, it, it just funny. I just put my head down and I went through 42-hour sessions mm-hmm. of voiceover classes. Wow, And I came out the other end. Then the month of April comes and my L.A. acting coach calls me. He's like, I'm casting this movie. Nebraska's open. They say, you come up here and shoot. And can you get to Nebraska? I was like, yep. And I shot my first movie in Nebraska in a pandemic. And then, you know, I shot my second movie in the summer in the middle of Georgia in a pandemic. Before the pandemic, I booked a National Pizza Hut commercial. First big time commercial I ever booked. I booked this commercial after two year, two and a half years of training, cause I switched my game up, right? How I auditioned, and it worked. Well, the first the first time it worked, and now I'm about to be in a national pizza commercial. But you know, everybody started turning into zombies, and there was no March Madness, right? So that was over. But I was happy. You know, yeah. I wasn't mad that I lost almost hundred thousand dollars. I was happy that they booked me. We got got 3,000 people, right? Wow. Well, the national commercial, is going to be 3,000 people that go out for that. Then they got to whittle it down. I learned the whole hierarchy of how that whole situation works. That's when I became, I was like, I'm trying to get as many auditions as I can because I know that it's a, it's a numbers game. The more auditions, mm-hmm. the more chances you have to book something. So I can't wait to get an audition. And I auditioned, did it, and then I did the second movie. And then I booked the Publix uh, ice cream commercial for a voiceover. Then I booked the Tyler Perry uh, House of Pain episode. It's all in 2020. And then here comes Geico, right? And the Geico story is interesting because Geico calls me on a tag team phone because we got a number on the website, dedicated phone line. And I don't answer the phone. I don't answer the tag team phone. Stay in the corner, gathering dust when we charge half the time. And my it's a rotary brother, phone. Yeah, it's a rotary <laughs> phone. Oh, it's funny because my uh so then I get a call from my agent, Geico wants to book you, right? You you booked the Geico commercial. And I'm like, Why are you playing with me? I haven't even auditioned for a Geico commercial. She's like, You book for a, a, a Geico commercial. And what happened is Geico called, left a message. And then they went online and found my IMDb profile, which is for acting. So these are all the breadcrumbs I've laid. And then they found me. They found my agent. And my agent uh, calls me. And then that's how it happened. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna let my agent make the deal because this is what they do. And I'm not gonna have to get lawyers. I'm not gonna do it. All I gotta do is say, i let them do it. So, cause let them make their commission. And now you got people who you trust in your corner that that care about you, they're working the deal. And they we bought in, we bought in everybody, had a big meeting. I had to tell them the whole saga, like I'm telling you. And they were like, okay, the owner was like, okay, we got it. Tell them this is what we want. And that's it. And they dealt with all that. And it is the most lucrative deal that I've ever made in my life. This Geico commercial. You happy you had a Geico commercial? And I was like, I was happy for two days, right? And then I knew I had to work because usually you get a Geico commercial. Salt and Pepper did theirs in 2014. They started touring and didn't stop till the pandemic. But I know we're not going to tour. So I just dove into the actor part of it. And I said, I'm going to prepare. Like, this is the biggest movie role of my life. And, you know, I used the same text I did with the piece commercial. I said, I'm going to come up with six or seven things that I hash out that I want in this commercial to make it great, right? What, what, you know, my coach would give me, she gave us this analogy. She's like, if you get invited to a party, what are you gonna bring? Some people are gonna bring cheese and crackers. Some people are gonna bring a bottle of wine. Some people are gonna bring a casserole. And I'm like, not nah, me, I'm bringing an eye sculpture I'm bringing two turntables and a microphone. i bringing my records. I'm bringing a barbecue. I'm bringing a uh, jumping gym for the kids. And I'm bringing a karaoke machine. And you will remember D.C. The Brand Supreme was at this party. And that's how I approach everything in acting and voiceover and just now in life. You have to make yourself memorable. You have to make yourself invaluable. And I said, okay, I want to spin and scoop. I, I know kids love sprinkles. Got to figure out where you sprinkle, so... LeBron James, old LeBron James with his, uh chalk at the scores table. He throws up before he goes in the game. Uh, Salt Bay sprinkles and just throwing sprinkles everywhere. This dance we do in the Southeast, do that. So everybody in the Southeast is like, man, they really represented the South. Um, and then just ask the director, can we do all this? And we have our production meeting the night before and I go to director. I'm like, I got some ideas. If you mind, he's like, man, anything you want to do, DC. And I was like, cool. And he's like, I, got it. I wanted to do a spinning scoop. I tried to find somebody fabricated I couldn't. So we're not going to be able to do that. But I got other ideas. And he's like, no, it'll be done tomorrow. I was like, word. Uh-huh. Okay. Then I told him all my ideas. And we shot all day. We shot everything. And because I prepared the spinning scoop, everybody loves that. The little dance, everybody loves that because we're having fun. Everybody loves you know the Chocolata, which was kind of a accident on on the fly, <laughs> the director and us, and everybody loves sprinkles. And if I hadn't prepared exactly, if I hadn't prepared, those wouldn't have been in the, the commercial. Yeah. It might have been a good commercial, but sprinkles is what does it. The like mm-hmm. combination with you know the father busting his move, the mother with the arms, and you know amethyst. Just the young, young teenagers like, I can't do this. Let me get out of here, right? You know what I'm saying? So everybody, there's something that everybody can relate to. Yeah. And now we shoot it. We have a good time. And now I know, how am I going to make this work for me? How am going to take these lemons, which the pandemic has given me, and make a lemonade company? That's my mindset. I got these lemons. I'm not going to sit back. I'm going to make a lemonade company. I'm going to franchise it. I'm going to sell it for a billion dollars. That's my that's my mindset. And I was like, let me blow up acting and voiceover because that's what I do now. So let me I, that's what I've been successful for this year. Blow that up. And I wouldn't try to find a publicist. Every publicist did the same thing when I went to find a booking agency. Well, you don't really know how. It's a pandemic. We usually do a junking, and send you to New York and go around robbing with the journalist and boom, 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 boom. I was like... You know, they gave me every reason why they couldn't instead of one reason why they should. But I appreciated it. I said, thank you. And I went and joined the organization, Public Relations Society of America, PRSA, right? Join PRSA. Two days in, I'm on a Zoom call with this big CEO of this PR firm. I raised my hand because I'm doing my due diligence through this whole, you know, from the lead up, up to the commercial, getting the press releases ready. I want to do a press release. I want to do this. I want to do that. I asked, are press releases still relevant? I know they are, but I just want to ask the question just to get the validation from or get the get the get the mind get, get it from the mind of a person who's been doing this for 40 years, who's big in the game. And they're like, well, what's it for? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of featured in this Geico commercial called Scoop There It Is. And I'm looking at the chat and I'm like, wait a minute, that can't be him. Is it? Oh my God, it's him! I love that commercial, and the, I just I blew up the whole Zoom meeting with with the commercial. And now everybody's talking about the commercials. Now you thinking about uh, public relations, right? Really? And then the operator sees this. She's like, "We like to welcome DC to this <laughs> organization. We're going to talk about that Geico commercial afterward, DC." But Ooh. back to your question: Our press release is important, and and the lady was like, "Heck yeah, they're important because the whole last year has been COVID. It's been doom and gloom." It's been everybody fighting each other. It's been, you know, everybody's divided. It's been, and then you guys come with a feel-good story about ice cream. Everybody's used all, you can only watch so much Netflix. Everybody's used up all their content because they can't shoot again. Like, these are all the things that are going in my head now. Why?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. She's not only, not only that, you need to go here for, to get in front of all the journalists. You need to go here to get in front of all the talk shows. You need to go here to get in front of all the podcasts and radio shows. You need to make sure your pitches are like this. You need to do this, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And this goes back to, she gave me the whole entire game. This is another learn how to learn moment. Because my first one was, you make them pitch you while they teach you. But this is joining the organization because it's full of, of people who have been doing it forever. And they can't wait to spill it, spill the guts, spill their guts on how to do things because they see somebody that puts a sparkle in their eye that's hustling so hard, they gotta give them the game. She gave me the game in 10 minutes. Wow. I haven't looked back, and it has, it has opened up doors for me that I never thought imaginable. It is the reason you and I are talking right now. Because I didn't give up, I thought differently, I hustled. And I didn't, I just didn't take no. And I've got three, four things that I would love to talk to you about, about my future, but I can't because I've signed non-disclosure agreements. Oh wow. That's how much this PR, that's how much me switching from, I'm oh, I can't get shows to, I'm gonna make a lemonade corporation out of these lemons. Make something happen. Now, now my future is secure. And then I dropped the press release Four days before the Super Bowl on a Wednesday. Thursday, I get a call from the Dan Patrick show. Friday, I'm on a Dan Patrick show. Right? <laughs>
0: nice. Just like
1: that. Yeah. Two weeks from, from, from then, I'm on Tamron Hall show, Daytime ABC National Audience. Boom. Here go. Wow. And, and now it's to the point where I do four or five of these a day. And I do it because you got to throw yourself out there and you don't, you never know who you're gonna meet. I did one with a Hollywood actress who turned into, you know, a podcaster. And then I started getting calls from people that want me to think I have a PR firm. They can't are you taking clients right now? Everybody thinks I'm a PR firm just because my and I got a perfect example. I I called uh a media coach. because so I'm trying to find trying to find booking agents for TV talk shows, right? And she was like. Started, you know, we talking and she was like, so nice to meet you. And we start talking and she was like, you don't even need me. Just when the first 10 words you come out of your mouth, you don't even need me because she trains CEOs and people who don't know how to talk in front of the camera. Trains people who, you know, she knows the whole game. She's been doing it for a long time. We have good hour conversation and she was just so fascinated. She was mm-hmm. like, you kept saying you don't need me. Wow. I was like, okay, cool. Like I, I appreciate that. I just glad you're talking to me. She was mm-hmm. like, I'm glad I'm talking. I'm talking to you too, cause I'm learning so much. So that was about a month ago. This week she sends me an email. She was like, "You inspired me so much. You, what you t- some of the things you told me were so innovative. I had to use them with my clients." And she made me a 12 minute video of all the things we talked about in our conversation, just related to her clients. Like perfect example in Tamron Hall. There was a delay and I didn't quite know how it worked. You know, there's always a two second delay and you're not supposed to look at her talk. And I was looking at her talk, but I'm I'm all confused. But so then I can't really I had everything prepared. I had all my pitches. I had how I wanted to impose my will. I had all these things ready, but I got thrown off. But because the backside and the foundation was laid of me, you know, with seo and changing all the wikipedia pages and making sure all our information was accurate and making sure they had everything they needed because she's the professional she is she created such beautiful narratives for me i didn't have to do anything she said that was pivotal because she said that was brilliant because he prepared on before in the back end and gave them the narrative and she took it and she was so professional It was the phoenix rising from the ashes, the story of redemption of tag team, tag team gets emotional of their success, right? All these beautiful narratives, I took them and ran with them. But she recognized it and just blow after blow, blow after blow after blow, she had been watching me and was so inspired that she made me a video and it just blew me away, man. And those are the things that validate your hustle. You know, now... I'm um, I'm in a, a good place, you know what I'm saying. The SEO, I'm, I'm the SEO has just been in, incredible for me because it has allowed me to be in front of everybody, the world, mm-hmm. right. And the press release not only got me press, but the press release really was for SEO because I dropped that press release and got 300 entities to pull that and put it on wherever that you know, newscast wherever. Three hundred and six hours. Wow. So that's three hundred do follow links back to the tag team site. Not a tag team site. It's a nuclear powered engine that can fuel anything I want to do for the rest of my life.
0: That's that's a great way of generating your traffic. And just like you said. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It all came
1: together. Yep. Through the press release. That press release came back. It gave me a hundredfold of what I paid for it. And now I'm working harder now than I've ever worked but I have to because everything is preparation. I can't control what's going to happen to me, but I can't control what I do. And I choose to prepare for all the things that come my way. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily to do everything. Cause you know, my voiceover coach, he's like, man, you can't do everything. Just want to I was like, yeah, I can't do everything, but I can be prepared for every opportunity that comes my way.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's just training. Right. So now I train every day and it's funny because cuz of the pandemic <laughs> after teachers went back to school after teachers like I'm not going back to school with them nasty ass kids what they did was they went and joined uh tutor tutor sites oh wow. Right? Yeah. it's like wyzant.com w y z a n t i wore that i wore it out during the pandemic i I'm learning music theory music production. I want to start making songs again. I'm learning, i learned little things that I didn't know about video editing and all that. You've got commercials, you got you might have somebody at Harvard Music School or Harvard or Juilliard teaching you and they're doing it in a custom and not only what the reason it works so well is because I got i know it this excites me, so I'm all over the place, but I'm learning a new doll called Studio One. For those who know what a doll is is basically the four track of you know, it's, it's a computer program that you play your music in or that you make music in and like Pro Tools. So it's equivalent to Pro Tools. I have the engineer who built this software training me every Tuesday now. You see what I'm saying? Mm. And he's such a great tutor because everything is custom to me working. So we just started. I was like, I just want to know the doll. Start with we'll start with work or I do auditions every day. How can I make my audition sound better? And everything is custom to me. So now I'm going at my own pace. And I'm learning and preparing, and now I'm making beats again. Touched the drum machine in 20 years. And wow. now I'm making beats again because that part doesn't leave you. The DJ part doesn't leave you. The mm-hmm. making the girl part doesn't leave you. I'm more creative now than I've ever been. Why is that not t- anything I get each time I get stuck, I go get a tutor, I learn it two sessions, now I'm done. Learn That's amazing.
0: how to learn. That's right? amazing. No, that that is that is, I mean, your your story of perseverance and Taking the the indirect way of connecting with people is pretty amazing, and how you and and you know you, you said you, you you haven't you know you've worked the hardest you're working right now. I mean, I look at you you're working smarter, not harder. I mean, the way you have things so branched out, but like you said, like zipped together like a zipper. It's it's just it's just Man, so amazing of your story. off offense, yeah.
1: It's just it nothing but offense. I keep pressing right because you don't plant a seed sit down, cross your legs, and look at the seed and say, come on, seed, grow. Yeah. Grow, seed, grow. Come on, man, the seed ain't growing, man. Why don't the seed grow? Man, the seed don't grow. I quit. That, that's that's not how it works. I'm sure you know a lot of people that that's their approach to everything. It's a quit pro quo. If I do this, this has to happen. If it don't happen, it wasn't worth doing. That has never been my approach. My approach is you plant the seed and you keep going. You know what I'm saying? That seed will take care of itself. Yeah. It's in dirt. It's organic. It's going to get watered. It's going to be a part of nature, right? You don't have to worry about it. And I planted so many seeds in my life, directly or indirectly, you don't know when that seed is going to come back and hit you in the face, right? right? And I planted so many seeds that I stand before you today in a forest of opportunity. And it is my responsibility to be prepared and not lose these opportunities I lost when I was a young man. Just like it's my responsibility to talk to people and anybody who's willing to listen and tell them the things that I've learned the way I wish someone had did me when I was a young man. Like my mother and father raised me beautifully, but my father can't tell me about the ins and outs and snakes of the music industry. Mm-hmm. They're gonna take advantage of you. And at early in the whole Wump there is process, I took advantage. I mean, I took advantage. I took I took responsibility for my mistakes.
0: Yeah.
1: And as soon as you do that, you're you're good. Because I love to be wrong. Because being wrong, admitting when you're wrong, and liking even liking to be wrong, I love it because it's the path mm-hmm. to being right. One. All right. And two, it is a ego pride killer mm. instantly, because now you're in an argument and. You're like, you know what? I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong. Just say you're wrong, and the argument yeah. is over. But most people keep arguing and arguing, Oof. and they go down rabbit holes, and then they're, they're making up stuff. And then next thing you know, you you know they they think they've won the article when they've actually lost because they believe the crap that they was telling you. Yeah. And now they live by it, and now they're lost because they always got to win an argument. And not me. I'm okay. You won, right? Yeah. Or people will give me excuses. I love when people give me excuses, right? This is one of the ways indirectly indirectly dealing with things. Yeah. Well, I can't do that because of this. And I was like, you know what? Thank you for those excuses because for every excuse you've just given me, I can come up with five solutions, put it in my toolbox. And when that scenario comes my way, I can deal with it effectively.
0: Yeah, I and
1: mean, been peace out. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. everybody always gives me excuses why they can't do something. Yeah, And I used to be, hey, I do it too. Still mm-hmm. do it sometimes. But
0: yeah.
1: I might react viscerally and I might give excuses for what I didn't do, but I am listening to you. Like my buddy, one of my corporate buddies, he was like, man, I wonder how much they play in that Geico commercial. And I was like, hmm. I know they play it a lot. He's like, man, you got to get the data. I was like, man, what do you mean? He's like, you got to get the data mm-hmm. from Geico so you'll know. And I'm like, man, I'm not about to ask Geico for nothing. I'm about to mess my relationship up with them to ask them for data. Give me the data, Doc Geico, right? But then I reacted viscerally, but I'm thinking, yeah, that, that makes sense, what he's saying. How would you do it? And I'm like, well, there is, if, if Geico's getting it from somewhere, go to the people that Geico get it from then you ain't got to ask Geico. See mm-hmm. you know how that problem turned into yep. a solution? That yep. turned into a solution.
0: It's just a different so perspective, just, for yeah, sure.
1: Perspective, yeah. I said, who would do that? iSpot TV, Nielsen, and a couple others that gather data for television. So I go to, I reach out to all of them in a week. I'm basically in a boardroom with Nielsen, iSpot TV, and all of them. And they're all telling me their woop, there it is story and how big of fans they are. And then iPod TV says, I've never seen an artist do what you're doing. And I do these commercials all the time. And I have your data for you already. Wow. And what we want to do is we want to have a commercial. So I said, because I'm doing this to find my value proposition, just in case I go into these deals and they're like, well, you know, the Geico commercial was cool, but what have you done for me lately? And I'm like, bow, this is what mm-hmm. I've done. You know, <laughs> this what the conversions. This mm-hmm. is the happy index. This is how many times that it was around on DVR. This is how many YouTube views it has. This is how many impressions it has. Pay me my money. That's, and, a, that's, some, that's some good
0: her, stats behind it, backing and, it up. And,
1: yeah. And she said, I want to do an interview. We're going to make you a presentation in the form of a commercial. Some, if somebody needs your value add, you just give them this link, and they'll have everything they need.
0: Oh, wow. That's <laughs> awesome.
1: Right? Nielsen was like, well, it's going to cost this. I was like, okay, thank you. That's a little high for me. They're like, no, 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 no. But we have aggregate companies that pull the same data from us, and they're 80% less of the cost, so we're going to hook you up with them. Mm-hmm. And I'm having meetings with them, and they're like, when you're ready, just call us, tell us, and we'll put together something custom-made for whatever scenario you're a part of, and they'll that will help you get your deal. So now effectively, that's something that because of a conversation, because – I listen now more than ever. I might react, but I get out of my way and I put my pride, my pride and ego sequester so deep because I think differently. Mm. Now I can see a opportunity in everything I do every day of the week, whether it be arguing. Whether you know, they say you don't want to be around negative people. Yes, I do. <laughs> those negative people give me—they give me so many problems. So many people that I love the most are the most you know negative. Your family's going to be like, why are you doing? When I told everybody I wanted to be an actor, everybody gave me every reason why I couldn't, yep. right? And they should know me better, right? They should know that I've everything that I've wanted to do, I've been able to achieve. But, yeah. you know, I've, I've acquired the ability over my lifetime to take any negative emotion, envy, despair, anger, hatred, you know what I'm saying, suffering. I'm like Yoda. <laughs> 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 and I put it in my pocket. Let's take it and put it in my pocket and I use it for some another time. And I use it for fuel. It turns into positive energy. Mm-hmm. Right? If I have a if I have four auditions and I need to go somewhere deep in sadness, pull it out of my pocket and now it's there. And in acting, that's what that's what it's all about, because you have these older these experiences in your life that you know now I don't have to figure out the character or be a caricature. Because of this thing I have in my pocket, now the character becomes me in an organic, authentic way. And that's what makes great actors, right? Learn how to learn to use things in different scenarios and combinations to serve me, to accomplish certain things. And it just gets better and better. better. that's why I do all these podcasts, man, because you've given me a gift of just running my mouth and coming up with ideas and saying things in different ways that spawn yeah. ideas, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, the pandemic, we're all in a Serengeti. We are all in a Serengeti together. What are you going to be? Predator. Or are you going to be prey, mm-hmm. right? And I choose to just eat healthy like a lion. I'm going to yeah. hunt. I'm going to track things down. I'm going to be stealth. I'm going to do all these things to get what I need to nourish myself. And everybody that's sitting around waiting for it to come back the way it used to be is going to be sitting around waiting for it to come back the way it used to be. And it's not coming back because we're standing in a new frontier. Everything is brand new. Yeah. yeah. How how many paradigms have shifted because of the pandemic that aren't going to go back to the way they were.
0: From us being on Zoom to just everything. Well, yeah, you you mentioned you mentioned like education, how that's revamped already. And I mean, the way that I mean, when, when you're talking, sorry to interrupt, but like the reinventions that you've created for yourself and the opportunities that you have laid out, it's just so impressive. And that's the thing I, I definitely would take away from this podcast is what you could teach these kids or anybody listening to this podcast to look at things in different perspective, do take those negative people. Cause I, I, I agree with you. I was like, I didn't want to be around negative people, but, uh, those are some of the times. And so some of the things you need to hear
1: they offer so many nuggets because it's an opportunity to take that negativity and turn it into positivity. Yeah. Yep. Think of how many times you do. I mean, people do stuff to you for spite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Just to get a reaction out of you, just to get a reaction out of you mm-hmm. flip that and you're doing it out of spite to them. I yeah. take in their negativity, placing it away. Don't let them see you react. Right. And then using it to fuel your desires and your dreams. Mm-hmm. So when your desire, and, and they're not going anywhere, they're still going to be there, but when your desires and dreams come to fruition yeah. and you're talking to them and they're sitting there proud of you, they have to look you in your eye mm-hmm. and know they did you wrong and know they were negative to you. And that's enough, right? That they have to look you in the eye. And it's not about revenge or, Mm-mm. you know it's not about any of that. It's just about you could not... It's more for me it's about thank you thank you yeah. for being you yeah because if you weren't you I probably wouldn't be where I am today yeah and that's how you, you you have to you have to flip things and switch things and hash out different scenarios and come up with formulas but not expect anything of it yeah right if I do the big I, I do I'll throw stuff out there like I, one is I want to be in the Mandalorian I want to be in the Star Wars universe so Dave Leone or John Favreau if you're listening. You need to come get me, yeah. Because I can do this. I do that with national commercials because you know I'm not expecting anything, but I know that I know things happen. I know that one of his assistants might go to him, but like I heard tag team on a podcast, DC. He was like, He can do this. He was Mm -hmm. like, He's the guy that did the Scoop There It Is commercial. He's like, Really? My kids love that commercial. Go to my (laughs) kids, like, hey, would you guys like to see the guy from Scoop There it is sprinkles being the uh, the Mandalorian? work with him and they were like yeah we love that dude <laughs> I set up a meeting with his agent that's and true. now I'm talking to John Favreau and Dave Leone discussing how I can be in the Mandalorian or any Star Wars event now is that going to happen is that far fetched? of course but I'm not doing it to get something back I'm just yeah. throwing it out in the universe and I'm moving to the next thing right. it's a seed that's been planted if it grows it grows if it doesn't it doesn't but some of those seeds are going to grow yeah. And you just and, have to be prepared for them when they come back and hit you in the
0: head. Yeah. And that, uh, that's the one thing I can say from what I've also learned from this podcast is just, you know, your humbleness is so inspiring. Uh, for how many times you've been turned down? How many times people have said no, and you didn't you didn't take any person you didn't take it personally. I I feel like we're reading you know the four agreements where you just didn't take anything personal. You 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 know you you were impeccable with your word and you kept going forward with what you're doing. And then not only that, like I said, going back to reinventing yourself and then taking everything as as service to others, to helping others, and every Good. opportunity is, Every is of so humility of, of everything of what we need in this world. Like you said, going back to the pandemic, uh, that's what I'm just hoping people could take away just that in itself. It's funny because
1: your whole premise from the beginning was, what can you teach young cats, right? And a lot of young cats come to me and say, man, DC, put me in the game, man. I want to be a star. I want to be in the music industry. Like, man, first of all, I don't rap no more. I don't know what you've been thinking. You think I'm gonna, <laughs> I, don't, I don't do that no more? But if you're serious, I'm going to give you a, give me your email and I'll send you a file. And then that file is a, a book that I want you to read. And if you read that book or if you can't read, don't want to read, I got a video in there for you. Call me back when you're done with that. Right. And I can tell you 98% of the people don't call me back. Mm-hmm. Right. And Best opportunity. And for the 2% that do, I have a uh, a, a, a army veteran from Afghanistan he called me and he's like, man, I just love to rap. I don't know anything I'm doing. I just want to get in the game. You know, it helps me with my post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, I just, I just need some advice. So I was like, all right, give me an email. I'm gonna send you a book, read that book, then get back with me. Cause my time is value. I'm not about to waste my time I'm trying to tell you everything you need to do because you won't do it. I know you won't do it. And he reads the book, calls me a month later. It's like, okay, I read the book, but there's some things I don't understand, man. It's like, cool, that's fine. At least I know you tried. And then I tell him what the book is about. And he was like, man, okay, I get it. So the part when you were talking about, and then we're talking about what he didn't understand, but he read it. Mm -hmm. So I know he read it, because now we're talking about it, and now he understands it. And he's like, okay, but how does this fit in the scheme of things? And I was like, I just made it possible for you not to ever be taken advantage of in the music industry. There you go. That's what this is. That's my gift, right? And now you know what to do. You know what to look for. I said, what I've done is I've given you the back end first, right? I've given you after you've had all the cars, women, the cars and the the money, and now your record is fading and you're trying to figure out what the heck are you going to do? I've given you the back end first, which is music publishing. If you're on your own music publishing, you can have a mm-hmm. mediocre record and make money off of it forever, mm-hmm. right? So, because I taught you how you how, taught you music publishing, you will never be taken advantage of, right? You'll know what lawyers are talking to you about. You'll know what music industry cats are talking to you about because they know what they're doing. They know you don't know about. They know these cat young kids don't know about music publishing. Everybody goes through what I went through. Mm-hmm. Right, It's just who can withstand it and get to the next and keep making good music till they get their good contract, right? Right. And that's my that, that's my responsibility. Most cats be like, man, the young cats don't messed up hip hop. They always, you know, they need to pay homage to us and blah, 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 blah. I was like, man, first of all, I can't hate on young people for being young. Second of all, you sound old and bitter. <laughs> and third, <laughs> they don't even know how to get in contact with us. They wouldn't that's even true. know how to because they weren't even born back then. Mm -hmm. right like you're looking at it the wrong way it's like we should be helping them right what i do is i learn what they know and put it in my pocket so if i have to be able to adapt to them i can or but that comes from DJing. or and you know i have this argument all the time it's like okay so when you were coming up and you were a young man and you were making your music or DJing or what have you were you going back in time and trying to find Chubby Checker and Isaac Hayes and, you know, Marvin Gaye and making music like them. No! No. We we're making hip-hop. It was yeah. different. It was a different time. It was a different age. Yeah. So why do they got to do that to us? You're being hypocritical. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. You're right. And I've changed the mind, right? Mm-hmm. I've changed a whole bunch of minds because he has a podcast just railing on young people. i <laughs> like... I destroyed your whole podcast <laughs> the whole premise of it because that's not how you do it right mm-hmm. so that's my contribution to young cats now if they want it they can have it if they don't because you know we go to the next thing and as you know as you recognize in this podcast I have a billion one ways to skin a cat and there are all kind of ways that I can help people you know it's just about thinking different you know friend of mine She's like, I want to do a laundromat. I'm a just laundromat. Just want to do a laundromat. I was like, Do you know anything how to do a laundromat? And she's like, No. I was like, All right, just what I'm gonna do for you. And I went to Laundromat Association of America. Called them. I said, well, You know, I got a friend. She want to do the laundromat. She's like, We'll take care of her. She'll know everything she needs to know after he, after she goes through this. Just goes through all the resources. Got every resource. Got people who can tell her from point A to point B how to start a laundromat, be successful at it. And then have actually have, or, or might even buy into, be able to buy into a laundromat franchise, right? So I said, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to see what you're made of. Because you say you want to do something, but do you really want to do it, right? right? And, and do it day and in and day out. <laughs> <do> it day, <laughs> in, day out, right? Yeah. People people talk a lot, and I always mm-hmm. call their bluff, right? I'm like, join this organization. So, like, I got to go, man. But if I can leave any everybody with one thing, especially, like, I got to tell this story. Old high school people, mates, uh, when I was, I was a senior, they were freshmen. They called me, they're like, DC, we want you to put, give some wise words to the graduating class this year. Just, you know, what you would tell your young self. And it turned into a dang podcast. I was supposed to give a couple lines. It turned into an hour, an hour worth of just a masterclass of some, you know, just a, it just turned into that. And cause they were so just amazed at what I was saying. And I was like, if I were to tell them, tell my young self, I would say, join an organization on anything, your goals and your dreams, right? And back then I would have joined a real estate organization because everybody, I knew real estate was big. And it's always been big. Real estate is always big, but, you know, as you get older, you know, it just, it's, it's, it's something that you think is insurmountable, yeah. but when you're young, you join an organization, you can learn in two weeks where it will take you a, a long time to learn. You mm-hmm. can go join an organization and learn in two weeks what it would take you a college education to learn. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be learning from people who went to college and learned it. Yeah. And now do it and can tell you what not to do. So now you, you don't, you don't got to flail. Yeah. So that's my advice to anybody who's listening to this. Whatever your passion is, whatever you want to do, now's the time there's an organization out there. And just type in whatever it is you want to do, followed by organizations and societies. And there will be a bunch of them that pop up. You paid $100 to join one. And then you call and you start asking questions. Wow. In two weeks, you will know everything you need to know. And you will know if it's for you or if it's not. And if it's not, then you move to the next thing that you want to do. Like I said, I play chess. I'm six, seven moves down the board. I hustle. I have six, seven hustles in the hole. That's how you have to be in life. So... I appreciate being on your podcast. I think we had a very productive conversation. I want to thank you for letting me run my mouth and learn even more than I knew yesterday, right? And I hope your calf is all right.